Hello again and welcome back to my podcast. Can I speak to the pharmacist? Well, yes, you can. Thank you to everyone who sent well wishes and support after my introduction podcast. I am so overwhelmed by the kindness of so many people. With that said, no more dilly-dallying. It's time to get into my second, but first real podcast. This week is Mental Health Awareness Week across the world and to acknowledge this, my episode today is all about depression. Depression is not a one-size-fits-all condition, thought or feeling. What comes into your head when you think of depression? Dark clouds, tears, a loved one? Unlike having a broken leg, depression isn't that simple. It's not always easily diagnosed or treated. In today's episode, we will have a look at what happened in the past to those associated with having depression. We will also look at those currently living and being treated for depression and hopes for both depression and mental illness in the future. Without further ado, let us begin. So first looking at the past, the earliest known record of depression came from the second millennium BC, which was an awful long time ago. Records mainly stemmed from the Mesopotamia, and I've said that about five times and I still can't get it right, region in Southwest Asia. In these writings, depression was discussed as a spiritual matter rather than a physical condition. Like other mental illnesses, it was believed to be caused by demonic possession. As such, it was dealt with by priests rather than doctors. While many believed that demons were the root cause of depression, there was a number of ancient Greek and Roman doctors who believed that depression was a biological and psychological illness. These doctors used therapy methods such as gymnastics, massage, diet, music, baths and medication containing poppy extract and donkey's milk to treat their patients. A Persian doctor named Razis, however, did see mental illness as being associated with the brain. He recommended such treatments as baths and a very early form of behavioural therapy, which involved positive rewards for appropriate behaviour. However, during the Middle Ages, religion, especially Christianity, dominated European thinking on mental illness, with people again taking a step back and believing depression to be the devil, demons or even witches. This led to numerous exorcisms, drownings and burnings of poor suffering people at the time. If these people were fortunate enough not to be killed or tortured, they were locked up in what was referred to then as a lunatic asylum. In the year 1621, a gentleman known as Robert Burton published his book titled Anatomy of Melancholy, in which he outlined the social and psychological causes of depression. Burton was able to link depression with factors such as poverty, fear and loneliness. Like his fellow Greek and Roman doctors from centuries before, he made recommendations to improve a person's state of mind using diet, exercise, herbs and even music therapy. The 18th and 19th centuries are described as being the age of enlightenment. 
At the beginning of this period, depression was viewed as something inherited from your parents, something that couldn't be treated, and the only way to deal with those affected was to again lock them up. Around the end of the 19th century, some doctors felt depression was an internal struggle between what a person wants and what is viewed to be right in society. Treatments began to become a lot harsher and included submerging people underwater for over 10 minutes and an early form of electrotherapy. In my research, I actually found out that one of America's founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin, was rumoured to have undergone electroshock therapy for inner demons that he reportedly had. In 1917, Sigmund Freud wrote about mourning and depression where he theorised about depression as being a response to loss, either real, for example a death, or symbolic, such as the failure to achieve a desired goal or someone feeling that they aren't good enough. The psychologist Martin Seligman suggested that learned helplessness could play a role in the development of depression. According to his theory, people often give up trying to change their situation because they feel helpless and hopeless. The emergence of these cognitive models for depression played an important role in the development of cognitive behavioural therapy, or also known as CBT, which has been shown to be effective in the treatment of depression. This period in time was also one of drastic experimentation. Desperate for relief, many people turned to lobotomies, which are surgeries used to destroy the brain's prefrontal lobe. Although they were reported to have a calming effect, lobotomies often caused personality changes, a loss of decision-making ability, poor judgment and sometimes even death. John Fitzgerald Kennedy, a.k.a. JFK, America's 35th president, had a sister, Rosemary, who famously underwent this dangerous procedure. In her young adult years, she frequently suffered from violent mood swings. After the lobotomy was performed, Rosemary was sadly left incapacitated and unable to speak legibly. Back in these times, it was considered a great embarrassment to your family to be different or mentally impaired in any way. During the 1970s, the medicinal model of mental disorders emerged and suggested that all mental disorders are primarily caused by physiological factors. The medical model views mental health conditions in the same way as other physical illnesses, which means that such conditions can also be treated with medication. Biological explanations for depression focus on factors such as genetics, brain chemistry, hormones and even brain anatomy. This view played an important role in the development and increased use of antidepressants in the treatment of depression. This brings me up to the present day. Now, before I talk about antidepressant drugs, if you do not come from a medical background, you might get lost. So it's important to understand how the brain works. Well, maybe not the whole brain. This is just a whistle stop tour. Situated within the brain are special chemicals known as neurotransmitters. These neurotransmitters are released within the brain to elicit an effect to make us react to particular situations. One example of a neurotransmitter you will probably have heard of is serotonin. Serotonin is the, quote, 
happy neurotransmitter. This chemical, when released, is one of the neurotransmitters responsible for elevating a person's mood. If there is a lack of serotonin, or indeed an imbalance of this chemical in the brain, the person may begin to suffer from depression and or anxiety. The majority of antidepressants prevent the reuptake of certain neurotransmitters. This allows the neurotransmitter to stay around for a longer period of time and have a prolonged effect. Other neurotransmitters found within the brain include dopamine and noradrenaline. Dopamine plays a central role in decision making, motivation, arousal and the signalling of pleasure and reward. Noradrenaline influences alertness and motor function and helps regulate blood pressure and heart rate in response to stress. Antidepressants are grouped into classes based on how they affect the chemistry of the brain and the neurotransmitters I've mentioned. There are five major classes of antidepressants and several others that are less commonly used. Each has its own benefits, risks and appropriate uses. One of the first classes of antidepressants developed were monoamine oxidase inhibitors, also known as MAOIs. This antidepressant class was first discovered in the 1950s. It works by inhibiting the action of an enzyme known as monoamine oxidase, whose role it is to break down monoamines. And by blocking this effect, more neurotransmitters are available for use in mood regulation. Examples of MAOIs include selegiline, isocarboxazid, phenylzine, and tranylcypromine. MAOIs are less commonly used due to the potentially severe reactions with foods high in tyramine, such as ripe cheese. The interaction, also known as the cheese reaction, causes an acute attack of hypertension due to the higher levels of tyramine in the blood. Another drug to emerge early in the 1970s for the treatment of depression was imipramine. This was then followed by a number of other medications categorized as tricyclic antidepressants or TCAs. TCAs work similarly to reuptake inhibitors in that they block the absorption of serotonin and noradrenaline into nerve cells as well as another neurotransmitter known as acetylcholine which helps to regulate the movement of skeletal muscles. Other examples of TCAs include amitriptyline, clomipramine, nortriptyline and doxepin. Such drugs provided relief for many people with depression but were often accompanied by serious side effects that included weight gain, tiredness and the potential for overdose. Of the five major classes of antidepressants, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, also known as SSRIs, and serotonin and noradrenaline reuptake inhibitors, also known as SNRIs, are the most commonly prescribed particularly in first-line treatment. SSRIs increase the level of the happy neurotransmitter I talked about called serotonin in the brain. Examples of SSRIs include fluoxetine, sertraline, citalopram, escitalopram and peroxetine. SSRIs tend to have fewer side effects 
than the older antidepressants, but are still known to cause nausea, insomnia, nervousness, tremors, and sometimes sexual dysfunction. In addition to treating depressions, SSRIs are also sometimes used to treat obsessive compulsive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, and some eating disorders. They have also proved helpful during stroke recovery. SNRIs increase both the level of serotonin and noradrenaline in the brain. Increasing noradrenaline levels in tandem to serotonin levels can be particularly useful for people with psychomotor retardation, which also means the slowing of physical movement and thought. Examples of SNRIs include duloxetine, milnansipram and venlafaxine. Some SNRIs, like duloxetine, can also be used to treat chronic pain, a condition closely linked to the development of depression. There are also other fairly new antidepressants that do not fit into any of the categories that I have just mentioned. Broadly described as atypical antidepressants, they affect serotonin, norepinephrine and dopamine levels in unique ways. These drugs include mirtazapine, trazodone and vortioxetine. There is no doubt that all the drugs mentioned play a pivotal role in the management of depression. The National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, also known as NICE, produced evidence-based recommendations developed by independent committees including both professionals and lay members. Their guidance states that those suspected of suffering from depression may also benefit from a type of behavioural therapy. These include both one-on-one and group cognitive behavioural therapies or CBTs. It takes a lot of courage for anyone who suspects they may be depressed to speak to their GP, me as a pharmacist, a loved one, colleagues, whoever it may be. The first step is asking for help and it's the hardest step. The thought of someone ending their life due to not seeing another option completely breaks my heart. In 2019, the suicide rate for Northern Ireland was 197 people. That's 197 fathers, sisters, sons, cousins never coming home ever again. If you or anyone you know is struggling, please, please reach out for help. There are so many wonderful organisations in place to help and support you at any time. Samaritans operate a 24-7 phone service where you can talk to someone whenever you need to. Their number is 116123. If you are struggling with anxiety and depression associated with addiction, Addiction NI operate a wonderful service with their current campaign stating that there is hashtag no shame in getting help for your drug or alcohol abuse. You can either phone them on 028-90-664434 or fill in a form on their website at addictionni.com to avail of their services. Aware NI is also available to help you if you suffer from depression. They are an amazing organisation with around 23 support groups in both rural and urban areas across Northern Ireland. For more information on how to contact them, visit their website aware-ni.org. 
there are so many fantastic organizations and groups waiting for you to take that first and most important step towards becoming a more happier version of you. My door is always open also. No matter who you are or what your story, you can email me anytime at speaktofarm, spelled P-H-A-R-M, at hotmail.com and I promise you that I will get back to you as soon as I possibly can and I will go to the end of the world to help you. The future. The National Centre for Biotechnology Information published a document by the Emory School of Medicine in Atlanta. This paper describes the hope for the future in depression treatments. It paints an exciting picture of cutting-edge research and the idea that the brain scans may be able to play a more central role in the diagnosis and depression of other mental illnesses. I mentioned in the first half of the podcast about Rosemary Kennedy. I truly believe that she brought embarrassment on her family just by having a mental illness. This was the social norm for that era. Leaving the past behind and looking towards the future, I am so happy that the topic of mental health is so widely talked about. It truly is okay not to be okay. I recently watched a four-part documentary on RTE titled I'm Fine, which premiered on Monday past. It followed four young men from different backgrounds, each with their own mental health journey. Each man came across incredibly well. A thing that really stuck out to me was a fella, Connor O'Keefe, a triathlete from County Cork, um, who painted the following scenario. If a close friend gave you their body to look after for a week, I'm sure you would tuck it in, feed it the best foods, take it out and take care of it as best as you possibly could. With that said and done, why do we not do that for ourselves? Sometimes we really need to take a step back and realise how far each and every one of us has come. We are our own worst critic. For example, if you sit an exam and come out, it's only human nature to remember the questions you didn't get rather than the ones you did get. We love to self-sabotage. But just remember, you are wonderful, you are special and you can do this. Thank you so much for tuning into my podcast this week. Again, if you have any questions, topics you'd like me to cover, or if you just want to say hello, please email me at speaktofarm, spelled P-H-A-R-M, at hotmail.com. Give my podcast a cheeky wee follow and come and join my family. Goodbye and stay safe.